Excuse me, we need to talk. Hello everybody, my name is Jeremy Franchese and you are listening to First Floor Conversations. If you're new, welcome, let me get you up to speed. In the last two years, I've sat down with some of the most impressive people in the world, all industries, all levels of success. And what we know more than truth itself is that anything can look good in a small enough window of time. So on this show, we're here to have conversations that fuel long-standing, sustainable impact, business, finance, wellness, life as a whole. Because after all, the view at the top is only as good as the foundation which preserves it. Welcome to First Floor Conversations. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Uh, Very excited. My name is Jeremy Franchese. Welcome to First Floor Conversations, episode 70. We're joined by Adrian Martinsa, founder of Technology for the Future. Uh, Before I introduce Adrian and we we dive in, I just want to say welcome back. If you're on a video, thank you for stopping by. If you're tuned in audio, welcome. Uh, I hope you liked the new intro. Uh, Shout out to Steph, who who really helped drive the the composition and, and kind of building that out. But um, the last six, seven months has really been head down building the business. And I am super excited to get back up and running with the podcast. And really, this is, you know, one of my favorite hours of the week, because, you know, we get to have conversations with people doing amazing things and understand how they did it, how they're continuing to do it, uh, and learn how they're doing it in a sustainable way, right? It's getting the big picture and getting into the specifics of, you know, how can we take action? How can we get involved uh, and, and understanding what makes these things move. And I think Adrian is somebody that I've been following as a fan from afar uh, for a couple of years now. I think that, you know, every time you look at the news and social, there's new technology, there's new iPhones, there's new iPads and watches and gadgets and wearables. And, you know, we we're so focused on the next thing that I think sometimes we do forget that there's a community of people that don't even have the latest thing. And the further and further these updates go, the bigger the gap is. And, and early on, I think it was probably three or four years ago, maybe even more than that, I, I started to see what you were doing with technology for the future. And it was so, I was just so impressed by how, how you were finding these communities around the, the country and, and potentially globally. We'll talk a little bit more um, and really separating the buzz of the, 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 the sexy gadgets and understanding that there's people that need help. Uh, getting access to, to, to these resources to be able to dream and in motion and take a little more control. And so, uh, Adrian, welcome to the show. Um, look, let's let's get people up to speed a little bit on on the basics, right? Um, first off, you're you're tuning in from Montreal, which is which is cool. Where, where are you usually based out of uh, when you are in the states? In in High Point, North Carolina. North Carolina, gotcha. And so from Slovakia, so gotcha. I'm from there you are. Gotcha. Understood. So, so let's, let's build a little bit of the foundation for everybody. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive into things, you know, look, you, you know, Adrian started uh, technology for the future in 2016, I think it was right. Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, nonprofit focused on really delivering uh, technology resources and, and really infrastructure to, to underprivileged communities that don't have access to technology and these resources to um, do what a lot of us, I think, take for granted, the, the, the basic things like getting access to internet, being able to work on a laptop. And um, what I'd love to do here is, is really start from the, the early stage a little bit of, you know, before you started technology for the future in 2016 and started really going into service mode of really connecting with these communities, what was Adrian up to before that part? What, what, I know you have another technology company. Why don't you kind of set the speed a little bit on, on uh, kind of where the journey started, so to speak? Um, so me with, me with tech the entire, 
the beginning was essentially good. I spent, especially the last two months, really thinking about how did all of this start for me. Um, and I realized that my first interaction with diving into the technology realm was when my family came to this continent when we originally moved to Canada and all of a sudden we went from having literally everything in Slovakia to being in a new economy, a new society where so much of an individual's as well as a company's success, my family is an entrepreneur family, was dependent on tech. So all of a sudden we went from having freedom to all of a sudden being in a new country, no language, and losing the freedom of just being able to create or do whatever because it was all depending on some form of access, whether that was finding the resources you needed or being able to re reach out to people. You know, technology all of a sudden entered my life as being a gateway to, to my own freedom and a freedom that I no longer have. So I built my relationship essentially like entering this war with tech to give my own family the tools that they couldn't find to give them the free to like help restore the freedom my family once had now that we moved that we wasn't the same anymore. And that kind of led into me but on the side of my father's jewelry businesses, doing tech stuff from surveillance to websites to marketing, pretty much anything that had to do with the computer I did. And that was since I was a, a teenager. So by the age of 13, I had my own computer business on the side. And then in 2011, which is by that time we were in North Carolina, it, it kind of it started flourishing more so like towards the end of high school because I started finding computers all over the country from different auctions or businesses and refurbishing them and getting them to other people as, as cheap as possible. Because to me at that time, it wasn't about making money. My relationship with tech was the same as it was with my family. Like, I just wanted to protect someone else's freedom and give them that, you know, without freedom, like, what, what do you, you lose, like, you lose hope, you know? And tech is a huge aspect of us having a sense of freedom in their life. Can you timestamp that for us? What, how, how old were you when you guys, when your family left, um, you said Slovakia? So it was 1999. So, like, the year 2000, we came. To Canada. What what caused uh, what what drove the movement? Um, my family. So so even though we were like in my mind we were like and my dad had a, a bunch of jewelry stores and like we were really well off, but he sacrificed and sold literally everything just because the way my parents said it is the level of freedom and power of choice just did not exist. Got it. So in a lot of those, like back then, in a lot of those Slavic countries, you literally had to like go to war for your success, like essentially, right? There was a right. There's a lot of things behind the scenes that go on in countries like that where you know the the freedom and equality isn't the same as let's say in America. So they had their sights set for me and my sister Miriam to be able to live a life where where we can freely pursue our success without any fear that that there's someone that might not want us to be successful, you know. In countries where you have that large divide between rich and poor, there's a lot of different kinds of fears than there are in countries that have a larger middle class. Right. Pre preservation is more more top of mind than anything, right? Yeah. It's, it's um, you know, I, inter I interviewed um, uh, a gentleman named uh, Mehdi Tabiliazar. He's a chief investment officer now. He grew up in Iran. 
And, um, you know, one of the things we talked a lot about growing up in environment was the idea of preservation. It was, you know, scarcity was always top of mind. And it wasn't about capital and money, but it was about resources. It was the idea of what we have today doesn't mean we're going to have it tomorrow unless we safeguard it and we manage it appropriately. So, yeah. so Adrian, you, you, your family uh, went to, from, from Slovakia to, to Canada. And then you started to realize that, that uh, technology was an opportunity to take a little more control, right? Um, when, when you, if you hadn't looked at technology as the out, what was the alternative? Knowing right now you run AM Technologies as, as, a, as a company and technology for the future, which is the charitable arm of that, that organization. And for those listening and watching, I mean, you've given out thousands of laptops to, to communities, right? I mean, maybe 20,000. I mean, 20,000 laptops. I mean, that's 20,000 individual lives that have been fundamentally changed because they now have a resource that connects them to the world, right? You know, when, when uh, uh, Bezos and, and uh, uh, Roger Branson talk about going, going up, uh, you know, to space, however you want to classify where they ended up, they talk about it being a borderless view, right? You start to not, you start to get rid of the fact that there's state lines, county lines, con you know, lines in the sand, and you realize that it's just one big community. And technology in many ways creates that effect because, yeah. you know, uh, music does a great job where they sound like they're from Atlanta, but they're from a suburb in New Jersey, right? And technology blurs the lines from neighbor to community to stranger, right? And so 20,000 laptops is incredible. But if you hadn't gone the route of computers, technology, that's the, that's the way I can take control of getting my family what they need. Did you have an alternative? Like, what, like did you have a fork in the road of technology or this other thing? I don't think there is one. Like what? I, right? I mean, like what, what, what job is there or what like pathway to freedom exists where technology is not involved? So but I think that's even the point, right? When we think about these communities that don't have the basic resources of internet, a phone, a laptop, a Word document, right? They're using a notebook to do everything. Like you start to think about storing information and access to information, the ability to learn on demand, right? You know, we think about going to college and not having the ability to pay for textbooks. It's like textbooks is a, is a small sliver of an example with the bigger idea of access to information, right? To store knowledge and create a, a, a point of view, right? Um, and to be able to contribute. There really isn't anything like technology that levels the playing field, right? You can't, you can't work hard. I mean, you can build without it, but it, it's, it's a significant disadvantage. So as human, like I think humanity on some, one way or another is personifying their own desire, their own energy, mm -hmm. you know? So technology is a manifestation to me of the fact that humanity is already in that we are united. We're just trying to get there through tech, but not realizing that we also have to treat it that way. And technology has to treat us that way. It has to evolve the same way our human soul would. It's a relationship, not a product, you know? So, so, so you get to the point where you start to have a semblance of, I, I use the word control. I don't know if that's the right phrasing for, for what we're doing here, but you start to have a V, I think a vehicle is a better way to frame it, right? You start helping people with computers, with websites, with marketing. It's the vehicle for you to find productivity and impact in a more immediate and exchange of value rather than it feeling like you're on the treadmill. It creates momentum, right? Um, what happened next? Like when you started to find success, was it, to your point, it wasn't monetary success, but when did you start to realize that this was more than a vehicle, but a a path, or I don't know if you would call it a calling potentially, like how did that evolve 
the first, you know, from 20, you know, 2000 through the early 2000s. It's I think it, it, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like with the initial experience, because I lost in my mind and even my family, I mean, I could see it. Like we lost so much freedom that it was that feeling of like, like that victorious liberation, right? All of a sudden being let go, that drove it. So anytime I could get my hands on anything that, already experienced so like i experienced the liberation of having a computer i experienced the liberation of walking into a company and them thinking a surveillance system for example costs like three grand and i was like no like i'll, I'll get you guys one set up for 800 bucks because it took me like three hours to do and i just got a system for it like that made like seeing other people's potential grow and seeing them be liberated it drove me because i related to it so heavily i didn't care about the money I just cared about seeing that around me because my family just gave up, like sacrificed everything for that form of liberation. And if I'm in a country that's now my home, if I don't see that same degree of liberation all around me, the minimum I can do is fight for it because all people deserve it. So if literally my entire life was sacrificed, right, for this better place. And in that place, I see lack of liberation in others, then I'm going to devote my life to fighting for that freedom because what else is there? Can you unpack, that, can you unpack the, the, how, the, the idea behind liberation? I think the way you're framing it may be different than other, how other people, yeah. you know, I think other people think about liberation as the idea of, you know, unshackling the chains, right? The, yeah, it's literally like that. I mean, if, if I take your computer or your phone, are you not in, in a, like a virtual prison, essentially? Like, what are you going to go do? If somebody doesn't bring you food and money to buy food, like, do you even have, a way to make money, to get a job, to participate as a citizen, right? right? When you go to prison, you essentially are punished and taken away from, like your choice of participation is removed. So my question to, to people generally is, can you participate if you don't have adequate access to technology in the 21st century, right? especially now? Like that was a mission that was in my mind years ago before COVID. Right. Right. And it was in the behind the scenes with community leaders and especially schools like they understood it. They understood that, you know, if these kids or families like it doesn't matter what age you are, but if you can't harness tech, like what are your job opportunities? What are your potential? Like what are your choices to utilize the freedom you have, you know, that America stands for? Like it's not as vast as as you might think, because like I. I personally wouldn't know how to be successful without tech or without access to the internet, right? It, the way you describe it, participation is perfectly framed. And um, at the end of the day, you know, the, the saying that half of life is showing up, a lot of people don't have the ability because they can't participate. They don't yeah. have the internet. They don't have their phone. They don't have a laptop. You know, we're so focused on getting the iPhone 18 that you forget that some people don't have a smartphone. They don't have anything, right? And like, and I didn't know this until I was in America because, yeah, I mean, I always feel weird talking about it because it somewhat, like, it does relate to race, but I came from a, a country where, it was, like, it was pretty much all white people, mm -hmm. right? And then Canada was a little bit different, and then I came here, and I started doing technology, and I started noticing that, like, if there isn't money in areas, 
there's more poverty and then there's also less technology. And as I started doing this, I noticed that primarily the communities I was serving that didn't have access to this market were predominantly black. Right. And I didn't like it, that's when it hit me what what um what technology can cause, right? Because it creates such a vast divide of opportunity. And then as I was going through it through all these schools, I came to understand that that there's also the third grade literacy uh, literacy scores. So based on state testing, these like all these kids, third third grade literacy scores are the prison pipeline, which means that if you don't perform at a high enough level in your reading scores, then then they literally assign like I guess budgets or funding towards prisons. So you're already on the track of they give of assume that you're not going to be able to participate sufficiently in society to actually stay out of trouble because you don't have like what economy are you going to be a part of other than an illegal economy right like it kind of pushes you into you know the wrong space when you don't have access to be successful with something that is like that is allowed or common or whatever just it's just such an interesting so um, it's a really interesting observation and the the whether it's correlation, causation, or observation, you know, it's it's one of those functions of they have to be able to participate. They have to know how to participate, which we'll talk about in a little bit. They need it, you know, ha- having having the tool doesn't mean you know how to use it. So we have to figure out how to get them in motion, which we'll talk about. But so so when we think through, right? So so you you arrive in Canada, two thousand. You start to see technology as a means of of being liberated, more control, more access, the the capacity to participate, and the vehicle to perform, building relationships. Right, you start to be able to, to to find your way into an economy that that does kick back value for value provided. Right, um, not that everything comes back to money, but in some essence, you know, survival is a part of the conversation. If they see it as a means of creation and survival, then there's more value there. Right, but so so at what point did you start to see? Uh, did you immediately go into the the charity side of like I'm going to build a 501c3 and start to, trying to find underprivileged communities and get them what they need? H- how did things develop from a uh, an infrastructure standpoint? Um, I think the the I guess the way I would phrase it is like, I, I mean, this might be complicated, but but I was I always ran my like I was always around our family business, right? And the way I was raised was that your community and your success, like wherever you are, is your extended family because if people. And this is like coming from ideology of like Slovakia being a socialist slash post-communist like space, right? So it was important in, in that country that all people were happy because the happiness of all people ensured that everyone could be happy for a prolonged period of time. Because even if you live, you know, so any anywhere you call home, if there's people who are struggling or suffering or unhappy, it'll eventually catch up to you. So my relationship with my own company wasn't as like, and that's where I was trying to make the segue, was a family business, but it was for family, but it was for purpose. So, so I always approached everything through need, 
So I like whether I came to that company or that customer who walked in, it doesn't matter. I was like, what do you need? Okay, so you need this, like like I mentioned the solution with the surveillance system or they come in because they need a computer for their kid or whatever. Like, oh, we only have a hundred dollars. Like these computers run 250 and I know that right here, have it for a hundred, I don't care, right? Because if, if, if it fit into my budget and even if I gave up all of my profit that I could have had, like I didn't care because it was like, that's what you would do for family, right? But you would make your family at the very minimum, like, like you'd either give it to them for free if you could afford it, or at the minimum, you just like, please at least cover my costs. Right, or, or you or you take a small loss and find yeah. a way to get it back because getting them exactly. to be able to participate is more valuable. Like you trust yourself to cover the hundred and fifty dollar delta relative to like like uh, you finding the the one fifty to cover the loss is so much easier than getting them the ability to participate. Yeah, exactly, and that's how I approached my business. And one day there was this lady, um, and we're still great friends. Who was one of my customers? And it was Christine Riles and in the city where we had moved in the U.S., Kernersville, North Carolina, mm -hmm. we, she came into my store and she was just like, Adrian, you run your business like a nonprofit. Like, why don't you start one? Like, and then all these people you're helping already, you can actually find people who also have money, who, who value how you do business, who see that you can, you know, stretch their dollar and create a larger impact. Then you can partner with them and form a, you know, form a support system for all the other people, families that wouldn't have access to your resources, even though they are affordable. So, so that kind of segued me towards creating technology for the future, because I just wanted to like take all the stuff I had, which I was, you know, doing what I was doing with it, helping people and like create the capability even further. How quickly after also amazing customer, to be honest, you know, that's, 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 that's fantastic. How quickly after that conversation, that recommendation took place, did you create technology for the future and real, and then start to, cause you manage oh. both of them still, correct? Like it's not like you manage AM technologies, which is a for-profit entity that supports businesses and people for technology. And then you have technology for the future, correct? Yeah. And I like to call it, like, I'm not trying to correct you, but no, please. I like a for-purpose. Kind of like Tom Shoes, right? Understood. Social but social enterprise. A for-purpose entity and technology for the future is the giving arm where we can bring together all the connections that people I have. Got it. You know, no, yeah. Got it. And also, please correct again. Like I, you know, I, I this I, like I said, I wanted to connect to learn more and and, and amplify a little bit, but um, that's also makes perfect sense. So so back to the original point. How quickly after that dialogue took place did you? start the, the actual nonprofit and like start to get in motion. I feel like that sounds like kind of a tipping point where you realize like, no, I can build this in an intentional way, get kind of a community behind it that's already thinking about these things. You know, what, how was that progression? Extremely slow. Because people didn't see it, right? They, like they, you have to understand the thought, like the, so, so you have to go back in time to then, right? Right now, right now, everyone actually sees what I've been literally battling for for three years, right? And like, actually, like, my sister just did an interview and she literally was brought to tears with how much we asked for help and how much help we got, right? Back for, and I'm not complaining, like, I understand. But, like, 
like right now the fear of like fear fear motivates choices right right now the fear of the situation with covid with covid outweighs the fear of a computer understood there's right? only so much appetite for change exactly and, and back then the biggest fear was like whether so so the the people in the markets well, the markets that don't exist, but the people who need assistance and technology the most are generally only accessible because they're out of the marketplace, essentially, right? Through communities and or schools, like community organizations and or schools. And as soon as you come to that, whether it's bureaucracy or a process or whatever, not only do you have a process, but now you have fear. Fear of liability for the computer, fear of liability, what if the kid goes on something, fear of blah, 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 blah. Like there's all these problems that all of a sudden come up that actually come first. It's not about like, and that used to drive me literally insane. Like, like I would get pissed in meetings sometimes because I'm like, like, why are your guys, like, why are your minds even going to that? Like, I would never put like, say no to a child having what they need. I just figure out what my liabilities are, like, while I'm helping them. Not be, not even before, like every you know, every day is a day lost. Like you wouldn't do that to your own child. Why would you do it to children in the community or families in the like you would just you would not do that to family, right? So and I've always approached it that way. Like I understand there has to be a process, but for true change to occur, it also has to be a process that's equally reasonable as one that would exist with your own family members, right? If if we actually want to have happiness as a humanity, like we have to somehow create reason that upholds family and the way we would relate to our own children and then we'll actually have change which is also why like i am willing to provide this computer for like during covid for 70 dollars instead of me going and selling it for 200 and i could have easily right because for family i'll do that first before and i don't even have to think about it i don't need to have a process right. i'm just going to go do it but but that is essential for for cheap, like when you said that people didn't see it, was it that they didn't believe that there was a significant amount of people lacking the resources, or they didn't see it as in, I get it's a problem, I just don't see how you're going to solve it. Like, I, I, I not, we're going to shift gears in a minute to just general lack of awareness of, I mean, um, it's tens of millions of people out of out of the the to your point the the capacity to participate right when we're yeah. talking about the seat like technology today is a seat at the table to be a, a contributing member of society in many ways right the global community well i think the best way to sum it up situational and i think this goes for everything is is an example like i'll talk to a district for example and this is a district example but like a school but, a school district yeah and it's going to be and but you can extrapolate that to a family to anyone right the district doesn't have money for enough computers i'll bring them in hypothetically right or they got a grant like before they even talked they, they were one-to-one -one, right three years passed because usually tech like they all cycle through it within four years there's an average like 15% fallout rate, things getting damaged, broken, blah, blah, blah. And four years passed. And during that process as well, all of a sudden they can't sustain it. 
right? Like from fixing it to internet. Like I went to a school in in Guilford County. The reason that that I was able to provide 10,000 kids there with free computers is because I went to a meeting where I wanted to donate 300 computers to the school and they refused to take them because they couldn't because apparently they didn't have good enough wires on right and and me as like i like i pride myself on knowing tech they had wireless more than sufficient for what they would have done for utilizing the tech and all these things right but one person in tech in their tech department or whatever the hell said they need to put in ten thousand dollars worth of extra like access points i was like you guys have one in every other classroom like you don't need to go and put 5G in every single class. Right. Like, why? It goes through one wall. Right. You know, like, it just pissed me off. And, like, and, and the kids couldn't have it, right? Because because in our system, there's, like, three or four protect people. And now, now let's say you're the boss. Like, who are you going to, like, you can't trust me over your employee. Of course. Right? Like, you literally can't. But why are these gatekeepers, look? are they trying, like, here's how I look at this, right? And in my mind, it's a no-brainer. Again, why I wanted to talk, why I've been like, from afar, like, this is so smart, right? And just like, it's a no-brainer to me, right? It's no different than in an environment when the, the, when, when the humans started to learn how to write, right? We started to understand how to document that technology of writing things, whether it's calligraphy or any form of technology that allowed us to document ideas, thoughts, and stories, that changed the, his, the, the, the trajectory of history, right? And when that went online and we started to change how we communicated, like the barrier to entry is significant at this point if you don't have access to technology and a computer. But now people are playing a gatekeeper, right? It's like you're making decisions on behalf of a body of people when yeah, it seems... Are they like? Are they looking to say no? I I just don't understand why. Like, and you're you're always looking to say yes. I'm always trying to find a way to yes. It makes yeah. you know. It, it sounds it sounds like if there's like like see, and that's the thing because we don't real like like I tried for three years, never quit. That's why I donated a ton of stuff myself and funded most of it, even of whatever like. The point is, is, is that, like, realizing, I've realized several things. One, one is that a bureaucracy gets funding backwards, so you cannot create efficiency. Like, I've actually had be- behind-the-scenes conversations with board members of schools, right, that called me after I went there and talked to the board and the agency. Like, you're talking about creating efficiency. You're literally not going to pass it through. Like you're not going to. It means people are going to lose jobs because they have to keep up the spending. They have to keep up this inefficient system yep. because otherwise they won't get more funds. 100%. I was like, we should. Like I remember learning about that in school. How government funding is literally back. Yeah. You know. And so between that and then having like five or six people, right? Because you can only make the decision that you're supposed to make, right? Like, especially in any public entity, you know, if you're talking about like charters and usually they're, you know, like charters have, we've been able to help charter schools and private schools like this. Any public institution has been literally a thousand times harder, which is what eventually drove me into just doing this thing public. 
and creating the open doors challenge and just getting kids to submit videos to us directly like what's your dream like think a little bit of how you're going to do that like achieve it through tech as long as you have that vision in your mind that's great you've done the first step let me get you a computer and now figure out the rest you know yeah so i mean you're mobilizing the community is that where dreamforce came to be yeah yeah so open doors challenge kind of transformed into the dreamforce because i wanted because the tech is out there is just for like it's not even for change like for the for effective choices to be available, it's about people coming together and enabling those choices to opening doors to those choices because gatekeepers should not like don't need to exist. For them. Exactly. You know, like if, if, if we have a donor that has enough money to help cover the because I don't have that kind of money to cover the computers, I can easily create a management system from outside of schools, right, to make sure all these families and and students have the computers that they need as well as access all their stuff. But that kind of, you know, organization, that kind of coming together of people had even more resistance, like literally 10 times more resistance than than even like, like those kinds of people that could create the change that I, whether it was community foundations or people who had money, da, 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 like it was always, like everyone is so used to doing things through the bureaucracy right. that, forgotten that change can occur outside of it and that's the only thing i think about because when i came from slovakia you know coming from a post-socialist communist country like change did not occur right unless it happened outside of that system of course you know like you literally people literally had to come together and create the change alone because there was no other pathway and then i'm here in america the land of freedom and all, and all of a sudden i'm like why don't people like Guys, like, let's just do it together. Like, why do we need all this stuff? Right, we don't it need permission. Yeah, you know, like. So, it's so ch- it's it's tough to hear because I can understand. I mean, it's like, say yes. There's no bad reason to give a kid a laptop that doesn't have access to things, unless yeah. you instinctively, at your core, believe people are not inherently good people. You know what I mean? Like that in my mind is the only objective way for you to get behind saying no is if you believe people at heart are not good human beings. I mean, and those those comments do come up. Of course. So, 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 so here I want I want to because I want to make sure we get through certain key things because yeah. we recognize the problem, right? There's millions of people that do not have, and most of this is children. Right? A lot of your focus is kids, right? Obviously, yeah. there's adults that are underprivileged and 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 uh, uh, underequipped with with the resources they need to be effective as an adult. But a lot of your focus is obviously schools churches, communities, they're trying to get kids in the next generation equipped with what they need to participate and and get involved, right? Not just with the world, but with themselves, right? I think, you know, it gives them a way to participate in, in exploring who they are, who they want to be, and how that impacts society. But how, how do we go about, for the average people listening to this, right? If you're listening to this on iTunes as a podcast, you probably are fine, right? Because you're, you're listening to it on an iPhone, probably, right? If you're yeah. listening to this on Spotify, you're probably okay, right? Because you're you're potentially paying for a streaming service. We're not talking about people that are listening to Spotify, right? We're not talking about people that are casually plugging into iTunes and, and in between their Netflix sessions, right? We're talking about people that that have these kids that they they are living a very different life from the average TikTok star, right? We have twelve year olds that are making eight hundred thousand dollars a year on TikTok, and two towns over they have kids that don't even know of what's happening, right? Yeah. So how, how, so once you recognize, you're like, I, we need to help people. 
how do people understand how big the problem is? Like, I'm curious how many people you'll interact with that just kind of don't believe. Like, nah, most people are fine. But that, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, what's I mean, what are the? I guess the right question is the right the right question I'm trying to ask is like, what are the misconceptions that the average everyday person doesn't understand about how a significant percentage of children are growing up in America? Um. Well, I mean, things have shifted now, right? Okay. It was, it used to be like before the pandemic, 25% of households didn't have like active internet connection. Okay. Before, the, before all this. And what, what's all, all this? Meaning like you, since you started like before the pandemic, okay. before this process, like fixing the problem, right? Oh, but what I it. think that is even worse that they don't understand, like what people, like I think the biggest problem around tech that people do not see and will not see is that there's layers to the cloud and those layers of, of the cloud define your participation. And if you're like, for example, like TikTok is a beautiful example, right? Mm -hmm. If your exposure to tech is first TikTok and all this like stuff that Steve Jobs used to talk about, like worry about where if, where if technology is driven by sales and marketing, it'll consume people and like kind of like ruin their potential. I don't know how he phrased it, so I'm using my own words. Understood. But, but in that same essence of the fact that like, how do you get through those barriers, right? Because that consumes a ton of your time and exposure and find the layers of the, of the cloud and infrastructure that are product like positive productivity wise, where you can, Get, gain more skills, more capability, more sense of light in your own potential, and then break through to actually using that awareness and creating action and doing something. Not just thinking about it, not just imagining it, not just hoping for it, but actually like putting boots on the ground and doing. Right? That's so many layers of the clouds, like what I, I like to call it that like the cloud shrouds people in darkness and people don't see it. Not only do they not see from the top that like there's darkness where people just aren't a part of the cloud at all. But there's also darkness within it too, because it consumes our time in our mind. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it puts so many things in our minds that it doesn't allow enough time for people to truly see through the cloud and see what, that their own potential is trapped in it. Because they have to be able to create action to be able to take that first step. Yep. You know, and action is the hardest thing to, to take, which again, creates kind of like a backward segue into that open doors challenge concept, which was let's begin our vision and how we see tech through action. Talk, like, let's let's unpack that for for, the, for those that are listening or watching that don't know what what the open doors challenge is, what became of Dreamforce. Talk to us a little bit about what it is, how it works, and and you know what what the results been a little bit because it's obviously helped mobilize a lot of the the movement that you've been able to you know use to drive drive some um, some success. So we're open doors challenge as a side note temporarily on pause right now because we're building a new platform for it. Okay. So soon, soon. but the Open Doors Challenge was a video, it started as a video contest where students and even adults who did not have tech would record a video telling us like who they are, what their dream is, and then how they could envision that dream coming into reality using technology. So we introduced that first conversation of see your future through tech. Like manifest it. How can you? Because there's there is most likely an avenue for you to be able to achieve. Right. 
And, and, and as long as they did that and took that first step of like faith and shared that dream with others, they would, they would earn a computer from us. We would donate them a computer to now be able to do it. And they would just use phones or their friend's phones or a teacher would do it. Like, right. like people, people were creative. They found ways to submit it, um, which now segues to a new product called Love that, that we're in the process of piloting, which is just a social platform. It's a little bit different from all this, but. But I'm curious, I'm curious on the Dreamforce side and the, the open door challenge. Like, do you have an idea of how many videos you've received from people? Um, but so this was uh, again, again, before the pandemic, right? Um, which is about a few hundred, yeah, which, because well, people were extremely, and that's again back to that first problem was no one trusted it. So, like, how is this is too good to be true? This must be fake, huh. this must, you know, so there was. So first from the community leaders, they had fear in- think it's like a scam? Yeah, people thought it, people thought it was a scam. Oh my gosh. So how- and there's layer after layer of this. How do you get around that? Like, how do you get people to believe that you at your heart genuinely are trying to help them because you recognize that if it's not you, somebody's got to do it, right? Like the, if it's to be, it's up to me kind of deal. It's like somebody's got to help. Like, how do you work around some pure unwavering skepticism which in reality, if you just, because they're, look, like, it may not be sales, but, you know, the, the look, you know, 85% of transactions occur between the fifth and 12th engagement between buyers and sellers, right? I can't, I can imagine there's some level of similarity in your line of getting involved because of skepticism, uncertainty, we don't have the budget. Oh, it's definitely not going to be only $100 a laptop, you're going to upsell us. And, you know, like, it's just a level of disbelief and a lack of confidence that you are coming genuinely open arms say, I'm here to help. What do you need? Which in another note says a whole heck of a lot about how people perceive business at large when you're in that community, right? When you genuinely are like in a position where you need help, how you view the world of everybody's just out for themselves. Nobody's really coming to genuinely help. And that's a problem, right? That's, that's a whole other conversation. Um, says a lot about the state of the culture of business and commerce. Um, you touched on it perfectly with, with the jobs reference around if, if sales and marketing is what drives innovation, then uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine, um, recently just got the book Sapiens, talking through like human history and, and, and from an anthropology standpoint. Um, and, you know, talks and we, what I was talking about with that friend was like, what's the, what's the value in, uh, uh, in boredom? That was the premise of the dialogue around if you're constantly stimulated, TikTok, Instagram, you're just, what like, it's almost like you have the capacity for free thinking, for allowing thoughts to enter, for you to be a vehicle for for creative, uh, you know, and, and, you know, what's the value of that? But you need the resources first. But if it's so clouded and that's their interaction, it, it proves to be challenging. How do you get, how do you navigate the skepticism? Because if you bail, where I was starting off with the sales references, if you say, this is too hard, I'm out of here. Like, I, I don't know you as well as I'd like to, obviously, because we're just getting to know each other. Like, I can tell that you're the type of person that understands that if you walk away from that, you're walking away from unlocking a potential future for a body of people that if there isn't somebody else like Adrian, they're not getting the help they need, even if that one adult is standing in the way as the gatekeeper saying, nope, we don't trust you. Like what what happens? I mean, yeah, there's I mean, this is this is uh yeah. I mean, my approach to everything is pretty like um just the way I do things is different you know even even like I used to tell my friends like, oh why don't you get an investor da, 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 for your business I'm like do you understand 
what that means. Like you don't get what that means. No. Right? Like you don't understand that. Like, will I be able to just like sell my stuff for nothing? No. Right. You don't want to answer to somebody. You want to give and not not worry about receiving. Like you can't go and have investors like they expect profit. Right. I'm a for purpose. Like whether it's my for purpose company or my nonprofit, I'm here to create a create impact. Right. So people, I think, is just there's so many layers of society that unless people create change themselves, it just doesn't happen. Like it's not it's not even that like it's just it doesn't it's not possible. It's kind of like right. like can you go stand in front of Walmart and promote your nonprofit, right? right? Like no, because then they're gonna get a hundred applicants from a hundred other nonprofits. Right. So and they go and do something freely. No, they don't have that freedom as a big corporation. Right. Right. We as people create live in a society where we have ourselves created these kinds of patterns mm -hmm. where change is ten times harder and the skepticism thereof just keep permeating, right? Like is that the right word? Um works for me. Uh, I uh, uh it's so I think people just have to see it. So if, if 25% pre-pandemic household, 25% of households pre-pandemic didn't have internet, active internet, I'm sure you're right. There's probably been a massive shift in that because they realize that if they don't leave their yeah. house and they don't have internet, then they are imprisoned in the four walls of their home, right? I grew up in a really small farm town. And for those that know me, like, you know, I always say we had more cows than people. The truth is there's only 8,000 people in the entire town. Like there's, it's, there's just, you know, like my driveway was a quarter mile off the road and it was a gravel road. Like it was just, it was cheap farm country that people bought land because it was a cheap way to start family. And it was just, it was the way it was. There's no fast food. There's one 7-Eleven, one blinking light, no stoplights. Like it was just that, it was a small community. And, you know, one of the things that, that you kind of realize is like, without internet, you're in the middle of nowhere. You're, you're yeah. like, there's no resources, there's no exposure. And this is going to sound, um, what I'm about to say, if it's not interpreted properly, and if I don't say it right, it's going to sound like I'm being a prick. And I don't mean this way, but like, they say that animals that interact with other animals are smarter, more socially adapt animals, right? They're, they're aware of more things because they have more experience. Without getting giving the opportunity for people to have those experiences, contact sport, touch different things, taste different things, experience different things, see different ways of living, right? Like it limits their ability to dream and think and interact. It limits their ability to have social uh, uh, flexibility and how they interact with different types of people, right? Um, it becomes very, very challenging. And, and like, you know, it's, you know, I'll talk to certain friends back home and it's like, if they don't leave their house, they, they'll interact, they'll see, they'll see 10 people in a week. You know, I live outside of DC. I'll look outside and see 10 people in four seconds. My brother lives in New York City, you know, in Brooklyn. Like this, he looks outside and sees hundreds of people the second he opens his curtain, right? It's just, there's a neat, and when you, in my mind, when you get rid of the access to internet, it's kind of like taking somebody from New York City and then putting them in the country. They can't even look out the window anymore and see what's happening around the world, right? Um, quick question on this. I know we started a little late. Do you have to jump in five for a four, for, uh, it's four o'clock on our side? I'm okay in a little bit no i'm good i'm good you're good okay I, I knew we started like 15 minutes late so i, I didn't know if you we'll, we'll, we'll go for another 15 20 or so and tie up but but with, with that in mind so um thinking through you know you know the more people are aware of the problem the more there is a chance for people to get behind it support it donate all of the different functions that grease the wheels of progress how do we make people aware of something that is like you're showing you're, you're showing a negative 
it's showing the lack of something. Like, how do we do that to, to somebody that's, that's watching this on an iPhone next to their laptop connected to an HDMI cord to another monitor, right? Like, how do we help them understand that there's a very, the gap is more significant than internet, right? Like, yeah. Do you think that, yeah, I, sometimes, especially in the, yeah, I don't, I mean, this just ties to, to an overall, like my perspective of what technology is and, and and because this problem is this problem is a problem behind the scenes that the globe is facing. This is not what we're talking about. Yes, it's internet. Yes, it's access to a device, but it's also there of like looking at Africa, for example, Africa right now, fifty percent unemployed. Right. right. What would people do to make money? Right. Right. It's the fact that the world as a whole. Yes, we have. We've now innovated and make every, made everything quick, like fast, and we have all these awesome solutions to so many world problems. But the the point is, is that in the midst of all of that, the problem that we're essentially talking about is having 100% human participation, right, of all citizens of any nation anywhere, right? Which means that people have to have a sense of purpose in their life, no matter where they live. And right now, if that sense of purpose is directly related to a computer and the internet, then that's what it is. And, it, and people need to stop looking at the fact that it's tech, because it's not tech. It's the fact that we created a cloud. It's, it exists everywhere around us. Right. And we're forgetting that everyone now who does not have access to the basic technology of, that the world runs on, actually runs on, is left without any purpose in their life. Like, so if you're listening and you have a computer, have an iPhone, whatever, just understand that that is how you paint your life. That is how you create choices. That's how you define yourself, your individuality, who you who you look to connect to. Even listening to the show, like everything in your life is related to your access. Now imagine you don't have that. And accept the fact that uh, millions and millions and millions and millions of people all over the world don't. And they probably won't. Right. Right. Like how? Right. Changing 50% unemployment in, in Africa is not something that happens in five years. Right. Exactly. Like these are long, long, long. Yeah. It's but even here, here in the U.S., it's the, it's the fact that people need to think differently about tech. They need to think differently about a computer. Just like we did when, you know, when all these, like when technology came into existence and we need to start looking at it as not only a means of participation and creating money, but also, also it needs to start evolving into a way where it drives purpose for people. And it drives, and not like how we said in the beginning, relationships, right? Not just connecting online because, yeah. because the more we get lost in the cloud, those of us who are very, very like in it, how are our relationships with our neighbors? How are our relationships with our own families? How are our relationships with everyone everywhere else? Right. Yeah. It, ha it also is not only creating a negative like a negative impact on people who don't have it, it's in some ways also shaping the way we connect. And a lot of a lot of this change and this awareness is so much more deeper than just devices, even though the devices already are vital. Right. So being able to bring like bring our support together for the kids and families who don't have access mm -hmm. 
and you know make sure that they have it and as well as understanding that our own part in how we use tech drives how it evolved like we have to individually want to you know not just scroll all day like right there has to be another reason to interact with the device than escapism and social engagement right yeah it's uh so, so I'd love to talk a little bit in, in these, in the kind of closing like 15 or so on when you work, like we talked about this on our, on our initial call, uh, you know, when you go to a school and you, you sit in that auditorium and you look at 300 kids and you're, did they, and this, and I think, I think you'll know what I mean by this. And for those listening, we'll, we'll obviously unpack it and watch it. And, and do they understand what you're giving them? Like from a standpoint of like, do they see it as just like a computer and like as social media, like do they, do they understand what you're trying to provide them or does it take that next step from here's a tool and then you get involved on the purpose development and how to activate the potential of that relationship with technology? Like what, what happens in that auditorium when, when you're giving it and then transitioning from it being an idea to now it's a real thing that is changing the way they operate? Um, I think that that's a... What I do is a tiny, like, just part. Like, I give them a stepping stone. I'm like, here, you can now stand on something. Right. Like, everything else has, everything else is there. Like, what you're saying is after that. So, how, but how, so, so you give them the tool. Yeah. How do, how do we activate the potential behind the relationship so they see it as a productive, and that doesn't mean work, right? Productive means it's a good use of time right? That could be escapism. It could be skill development. Like how how do we help kids understand how to build a productive relationship with technology after you already drop it off? So for the past three years, no, not three, but like, that's where I started my software company, right? So I started building my own operating system and like, and a, and a database, like not even a database, right? I pretty much took the and this is kind of going left, but I took the infrastructure of how society operates across all these different federally registered occupations and all the stuff that exists online to curate what you want and what you like want to create in your life. Got it. Right? So I can hand it to you because you can't expect an individual or even a community unless they've had pre-exposure on a professional level to guide an individual sense of purpose and success through the cloud, unless they've already achieved it, Mm -hmm. which is where this, like, again, it goes back to open doors challenge and creating champions. All Like if you wanted to be a tech, I could teach you to be a tech, right? Can you go, you can do that if you know your neighbors and your community, right? Could you go find the person at your church that is also a tech and have them teach you and guide you and mentor you yes right. how likely are you like so let's say let's let's create an equal playing field so so i can i can freely without doubt and fear go and speak to anyone in my community right and ask them for for guidance how easily can you do that on the internet yeah i mean you know how to do it i mean in a blink yeah you know but it's, but it's back to that relationship. You see it as a place where you can go get help. Yeah. Right. But it's also not free. Okay. See, so yeah, I'm going towards like the in-person stuff that humans used to have. Oh, uh, well, I understand. So much more real. 
I understand. You want them to have a local ambassador, so to speak, to help you know sustain the development yeah. and things like that, rather than feeling lost in the proverbial internet where they're just like moseying around lost trying to find somebody to latch arms to. Right, it's designed to consume. Like the internet is designed to consume. Right, it's like, not designed to be the shepherd. And all of a sudden, like create all this stuff and, and like you're most likely going to spend hours and hours and hours getting consumed by it. Right. For so how do you so basically what it comes down to is instead of being you know going into in, into this this the fabric of social and the internet you know it's kind of like making sure they're in control of it like don't passively get involved because then it's just going to own your attention and you're not going to have the ability to use it as something to craft a potential better tomorrow but if you have a local yeah. sponsor an ambassador somebody that can be kind of the shepherd in your journey with developing a healthy relationship with technology then it becomes sustainable like it becomes something that compounds and that person then can in, in their own right become a, an ambassador so to speak and help the next person it kind of tips the domino yeah and that was that vision and it, and it all circles back to that vision because i've been trying to not trying i've been working on for like creating a sustainable solution to all of these things that we're talking about and i've constantly been channeling them towards that ideology of the open doors challenge which is like bring like using tech as the gateway so here now the doors are open yep Thing to know the people that you need around in your community, being able to connect with them both in person as well as using technology and then having them as your guides and or like mentors to be able to be successful, right? And those kinds of relationships have the highest potential to come into existence locally, which also fixes the whole problem of what technology has, has in some ways done to the world because like, you know, I still can't get over going to restaurants and seeing everyone on their phone. Like people just aren't present. Yeah, it's no, ab absolutely. Right. It's, it's kind of, you need to create a balance almost. You develop, it's like food, develop a healthy relationship with it. Right. It may be something we need, we rely on, it's part of you know, sustainability, but develop a healthy relationship with it. So what, what, talk to us a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, what a post COVID environment looks like for you and your team and, you know, where your head's at a little bit, kind of as we start to close out, like, obviously, there's some things we just can't predict, we don't know. And, and you know, we got to play it by ears, hopefully, you're able to come back to the States soon and, and, you know, get back in rhythm, I guess, you know, I'm sure that's one of the top items you're, you're working on. But, you know, what, what, what can we expect from, you know, what you're, you're, you're trying to do over the next couple of years as you drive forward with this initiative? Like, are, are you focusing on any parts of the country, you know, any parts of the states, or is it you'll go anywhere and everywhere that's necessary to move the mission forward? Right. So right now we're focusing, and we've done this for maybe the last year and a half. I've pretty much invested everything I have into it. Um, kind of went through that Elon Musk type of thing. I literally sold everything I had that I could and just invested into the software. And so it's a... Is that so it's called WUB instead of love, right? It's called WUB. So so I wanted to create a software that facilitates the relationship and that support system that a family would give you, but 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 it be a social network. So we've been working on a social network that essentially like it's a little bit complex because when you when you download it, you have to go through a 60-question survey to identify what kind of inner champion you have. But then based on that, based on the output that it generates, which is, which is an actually accredited, like federally defined system. So the output that you get now helps you navigate your potential in the society that you live in. So, not only 
not only that, but you can also, so if like I am a teacher or I am a scientist or I am a, <laughs> an entertainer, like it doesn't matter, right? Like you can connect with other like-minded people in your in your area. Right. So the idea is to to change the paradigm of how technology is affecting people. And we're we're right now beta beta testing the first edition of it. Huh. And over the next few months, my intention is to just give it out for free to all the kids, like as many student communities along with their parents. So we can facilitate that kind of connect that relationship building that we've just that we just talked about. Kind of serves as their shepherd in their their journey with technology. Yeah. Yeah. That's super. But for them, like for one another. Right. Yeah. So I just want to create the choice. So so if you know, because because a community should know that I don't I mean it's just <clears throat> like you as a parent would want to know that if if there's someone within your own community that could guide your children. Yeah. Or, or you could be a mentor that like you have that conversation. It's it's kind of in many ways, what, you know. It, it, in some ways, it, it it kind of feels like what many people do when they rely they they realize the wrong word, but how they interact with church, they a pastor, a mentor. It's you know, it's an it's it's a faith based infrastructure that's not religious, but it's self belief, it's community belief, it's yeah. it's learn about yourself to know what tomorrow can look like, and meet the other people who are also trying to do the same process. And in the process, you'll learn from people that are already a couple steps ahead but are looking backwards, trying to pull people along with them, right? And so, because I know, I know in, in, in I'm, I, you know, the reason I'm pointing this way, I got another monitor I'm looking through, like, you know, like faith is clearly important in what you guys do, but it's not in a religious sense. It's in a confidence, in a belief, it's in a mindset, you know, and, and it, makes, it makes a lot of sense. Because the way, the way my family is, because faith, in Slovakia back then, like you couldn't go to church, you couldn't go get me. So like the religious aspect of faith right. wasn't allowed. Right. So I grew up in faith being like believing in yourself, believing in your family, doing what's right, right. treating everyone as family, community, you know, non-religiously, and that's always how it's how it's rooted in rooted in me. And I've always wanted to extend that to as many people as possible. Well, wow. and that's where this whole shift towards software came in because. Because I, yes, I could be giving, and we're still doing it 100%. If anyone knows a community or wants to participate in any way, technology for the future, 100%, we'll always do anything we can to help. Yeah. Parallel to that, I recognize that a huge part of this problem is the way we navigate the cloud and the way we build our relationship with it. And that, and that just, just like when, you know, like I look up to how, how Steve Jobs looked at technology because it gives me a sense of validation that, I'm not the only one who had that kind of relationship to it. Right. The bicycle for the mind, you know, analogy of, of like, it gives people the, the infrastructure to dream in motion while creating that dream. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so how, how do people get involved? Both break it down for me on the individual level, uh, on, on the, on the corporate level, like how, how, you know, for people that look at this and say, I understand that this is a problem and, and I, you know, how, how do they get involved? How do they in some way, shape or form support this? Um, so on technologyforthefuture.org, we created a comprehensive forum that allows people to build their relationship with us, whether they're a student, a company, a donor, or like pretty much anyone and everyone. Okay. And off of that system, we've been building other so solutions that we're actively developing to be able to share and give, and give back. So, 
So whether it's an organization, like organization, no, we don't even, it's not only just about having funding, but it's also about being able to have access to older broken technology that, that can get repairs God. and get to kids, right? Or, you, or, do you work, so, so and I'm reading through this a little, so you may, you'll work with companies, for example, that maybe are upgrading their training laptops and you'll, you know, either buy them or yeah. t- like, you know, I'm thinking about like, like, a, you know, a, a large enterprise that, you know, they're sending out, you know, you know, cheap old laptops that they don't need to be super robust and they're not doing heavy computing on it, but it's just a means of, of, of basic functionality and they update yeah. the newest version and they have 10,000 laptops or 200 laptops. Do they sell them to you or is it a donation that serves as a write-off from a, like a, a material cost standpoint? So it's both. Got it. And it, and it depends because a lot of what people also don't realize is a lot of technology that could be repurposed in the United States actually goes overseas. So other countries buy it up because they're willing to pay more for old and broken stuff. So then that affordable solution kind of like leaves the United States and goes somewhere else. Got it. So if we understood. Like even in my in my actual like company, I would always be like, you know, like get it to us so we can so we can get it. So we can make sure that it goes to help the like our home first. Yep. And then it can go overseas. So do you you have a break? So like, so I'll give you a a specific example, right? So last year, um, myself and, and, uh, Robbie Martin, a buddy of mine, what's up if you're, if you're checking it out, man. Um, we, uh, you know, we, we started, uh, we haven't incorporated it as a 501c3, but the artists for good, for good collective. It was really just, you know, when COVID started music stopped, comedy stopped, our creative forms of expression in a live scenario stopped. So we, you know, pulled together and realized like, gallery season for artists wasn't happening we got a lot of people to donate a lot of things we held a you know a, a five to seven hour virtual festival that raised eleven twelve thousand dollars or something like that it all went to uh fighting hunger and, and things so we had the mental math of you know it was like give or take i think it was like you know three dollars and change created a meal it was one of those things where it helped us understand you know if we want to donate a thousand meals we need to hit a mark like is there a way because i almost like i'd like to actually you know i'll probably give robbie a shout about this specifically i'd like to like like you know, if some if, if you, people raise money and sent you guys X amount, like, is there a way to find a way to equate like a contribution to a laptop or something? Maximum one hundred. So that's what I've actually prided myself on. So while I've been piloting this for the past three years, yeah, actually on average, per like the conversion of our entire operational budget for technology for the future, divided by the number of kids we serve. Averaged out around $70 per student receiving a laptop. Incredible. That includes literally our operations, everything. That's, yeah, that's amazing. So like, so one, so basically like getting a computer, getting it to the student, and that even includes warranties. So like we, we provide one year of support for the devices. We do under a hundred bucks. So if you, you contribute a hundred dollars, guarantee the student gets a device. Amazing. I was even thinking about, a campaign before I was like, I wonder how we could raise, get 1 million people to contribute $9 a month and give a million kids computers every single year, right? And not only that, but if we could get subscribers on this like $9 a month kind of pathway, then we could support the computers and every student that's a member of our program would never be without one. So even if it breaks, they send it back you know, and we create enough of like, we budgeted out to have enough of a little bit of a margin to cover yeah. damage and things like that too. 
Yeah. I just wanted to, like, I've always been thinking about how can I create a support system for children that's sustainable, affordable, and just so different from what, you know, is usually out there. Of course. As well as bridge that software uh, like aspect, you know, so a student actually knows what they can do. I, so, so if they want to be a photographer, they open their computer and it shows up with all the tools that they need to edit photographs, where to sell them, oh, how wow. editing tips, like yeah. So that's that's the that's what my my software company is doing in the state. So you're you're trying to get it to the point where the donation is also a one to one customized delivery, where it's not just yeah. here's a laptop, your internet connection works, and there's some basic office tools on there, but it's hey, this is your future. You want to be a photographer? Here's the technology and the resources based on what you provided us. That's... So we took 1,100 different jobs that exist in the U U.S., right. classified it into 74 dream areas. Okay. So now, so now, so now basically... A student will, like a student or family member, can can navigate to their dream, and the computer is the, like the dream guide. Right, it's the GPS, and they're the driver. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Well, well, and that's what I've been doing, like doing everything I could. I've just, and some of my friends have been mad at me because, like I said earlier, they're like, get investors, get investors, but I just don't want to pollute it. Totally. Like because I don't know who's like whose money. I could well, accept that, that would literally not want to all of a sudden like like I want to make it sustainable and make money, but I'm not going to do it for a profit. No, you would need a silent partner, somebody that's like, "Hey, I need the cash, but you have no say in how we do things because I'm not wavering on what I'm doing." You know, yeah. and that's yeah. you know it's feasible, but but you're right; it's a different type of a relationship with the 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 person delivering the capital. Um, look, Adrian, yeah. this is this is awesome, and and um. You know, thank you for taking some time, and and I, I hope you're able to sort things out and get back to the states and get back in motion. Um, for those that uh, you know, let's let's uh, let's kind of close things out here. Obviously, uh, technologyforthefuture.org is where people can get information and learn more. Um, if you want to donate, get involved. If you want to share, you know, get like I, I just I, this is too important. And, and the one thing that for me, I, I the one thing that stands out among, among uh, like all of what we're talking about is I think sometimes the world we live in has it only has room to fight so many battles in in reality that's not true right we have the capacity to fight as many things as possible right but sometimes it feels like covid is a problem nothing else matters but covid right there is uh international conflict that's the only thing that matters today and in reality there's these these micro opportunities like this on a day-to-day -day basis in each community that while these big issues are taking place those those issues don't go away right? There's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be things happening. We hope for a better world, but this is one of those things that, you know, it's like, it's like being in a Tesla on the highway next to somebody riding a bike. There's just no way to close the gap unless you get them a car, right? You, you know, and, and they need, they need help. And I think this is something that absolutely needs more, more attention behind it, behind people realizing that, that, you know, even if the 25% of households that don't have access to internet, you know, it's, what are there 10 to 20 million children every year that don't have access to technology? You know, yeah. it's, it's probably, and, and, and I think what people also need to probably recognize a little bit here is the domino effect of if that individual doesn't have the support, what happens when they have a family and they have children and back to you, the, the point you touched on earlier with, with the, these, these economically you know, depressed areas where the, the third grade reading levels, the indication on, are they going to go to prison or are they going to be contributing members of society? And, and, 
what a tough thing to, 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 to take when you think about how black and white that perspective is, right? And so anything you want to close, you know, before I close this out, anything that, that you top of mind, anything that you want to share, promote, you know, more than take a minute or two to kind of unpack what's on your mind, my man. <laughs> I just, I just want to, you know, I've been always, I've always wanted to have a community of people or build a community of people who understand that technology has to drive purpose and irrelevant of the device, internet, anything else. There's, you know, even those 25% households, there's still massive percentage of our population, even with technology that don't have purpose because of it right? or through it or whatever. And it's, and I think that, you know, coming together and you, you giving us the opportunity and me the opportunity to, to, share the, the story and you know, what we've been doing, I think is important. And it's a huge, and I think it, it can be a huge step to being able to build something something greater. Like I know the, the resources and everything else is out there and I have access to it, I see it. It's just a matter of the fact that for something transformative to occur, it takes unique kind of people. Because not only is it like, it's hard to see when you don't see it, right. you know, and when people don't see it, but also, you know, you have to have it in your heart that you're willing to, to sacrifice and push for something greater and better in the world than just the things that are constantly in front of us. You have to look but at it as a necessary. You have to look at it as necessary, not a distraction from your day to day. Yeah. And it's tough when everybody's, again, driving a Tesla and they're not really worried about, well, they're in the bike lane. It's like some people yeah. didn't choose to ride a bike. It's just all they had. Right. Um, Adrian Martin said, thank you for joining. Uh, for everybody else, check out technologyforthefuture.org if you're tuning in audio. Thank you for sticking around on the video side. Thank you for showing some love. Um, you guys know the deal. My name is Jeremy Franchese. This is First Floor Conversations, where the view at the top is only as good as the foundation which preserves it. Uh, and I think in this environment, in 2021, in this world, where, wherever you are in the world, technology absolutely is a driver for purpose. Uh, it, it's a driver for how we operate as a community, and it is the barrier to entry for participation in most environments. And uh, the more people we can we can help, the more children we can help, the better the, uh, the entire team of, of team human can be ultimately. And so, Adrian, thank you for taking some time. Everybody else, take care, and uh, we'll be back for more. Hey there, it's me again. I just want to say thank you so much for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Before you go, it'd mean the world to me and the team if you would rate the show, subscribe, leave a review, show some love, and we'll see you next time.